D&D Outdoors brought to you by Headline Outdoors. Season 3 is coming out on April 10th. Oh man, we got some great episodes coming up on Headline Outdoors. Also, hun- lots of other programs. It is also brought to you by the Southwestern Outdoors. We're going to fulfill all your hunting needs and equipment that you need at www.southwesternoutdoorsman.com. Welcome back, everyone, to D&D Outdoors. Today, it is our turkey episode, so we are going to talk all things turkey here. Um, yeah, how you doing today, Dustin? Pretty good, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. I can't complain. Sounds like you had a tiring weekend. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fishing trip we did. Uh, how many hours was that? I pulled out the driveway at 4 a.m. And we didn't get home till after 9. So that's what? 14? Something. I'm not good at math. 19, <laughs> but 19, long day. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I crashed after that one. I bet. You probably slept good. You caught some big fish, too. Yeah, I had them get another citation. Uh, 38 inches. Blue cat. That's awesome. 27 pounds. You must have been tired after reeling that big thing in. Yeah. It, A little it, sore. Had to fight him to hold it, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that's awesome. That's good to hear. Glad, I'm glad you had fun. Yeah, uh, Jason was with us, so we'll be able to see that. Our 2023 shows is filmed for that. Uh, he actually said that two of the catfish that we brought home fed nine people at his house the next night. Had what? He filleted out two of the catfish that he brought home. Oh, gotcha. And it fed nine people. <laughs> That's a big catfish. The two I brought home, I filleted out and got, what was it, six fillets in that picture? Yeah, I think so. So, Pretty yeah. close to, if not more. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fillets. It was, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, froze a little bit. Yeah, it looked chilly. I didn't know that uh, Jimmy Dean, the sausage guy, he had a house down there. Yeah, that was an awesome picture. Do they have any free samples? I I was trying to get them to pull up to the dock to see if they did, and nobody wanted to. I, oh, that's no fun. I know. Oh. So would I would have jumped off and swam. I guess probably was a little cold, though. Actually, the water was like 52 degrees. Oh, gotcha. That's nice water. Not I think too bad then at all. The air temperature when we got there was like 34 Gotcha. That's yeah. That's a little chilly. Thirty-four. <laughs> but they have warm under water. That's funny. Oh man. So what did you do this weekend? I did not do anything. I did yard work, and that's about it. So, just that caught up on just stuff that I just been procrastinating to get done. So nothing exciting at all unfortunately but hopefully I have a little bit more fun this weekend it's the Arizona Game and Fish Expo so go out to that and with the family and have a little fun and see what they have to offer my first year going to that so I'm excited for that but yeah I guess let's talk turkey it is the turkey episode eh yeah man let's talk turkey let's talk turkey oh man well because we decide, you know, to do this turkey season coming up, you know, can never, I guess, get enough information about turkey. Do you turkey hunt? You got turkey out where you're at, at least, I know. I turkey hunt. Uh, it basically consists of me sitting in the woods. Yeah, sitting in a blind freezing and hoping a turkey comes by. Yeah. Well, maybe after this episode, you can get a turkey. Hopefully I can, too. Um, you know, they're hard to draw out here. Where you're at, you have the eastern turkey, correct? That is correct. Ah, perfect. See, in Arizona, 
we're kind of um, different. We have three different turkeys in the state. Now, two of which, or one is only like a main one you can hunt. The other two are like, take about, back to our draw, it takes about 10 to 15 years to draw a tag for each one. But in Arizona, um, we have the, the Rio Grande turkey, the Merriam's turkey, and also the Gould's turkey, which is pretty cool. Um, so three out of the, out of the, uh, five turkey species you can hunt, um, to get your turkey slam to the U.S. you can potentially get in Arizona. Um, but I mean, I think, I think the coolest turkey of the mall is the oscillated turkey, which is found in the Yucatan. Have you ever seen a picture of these things? They, they look like a peacock, right? Yeah, they're beautiful. Um, we'll definitely get a picture up for this um on this episode on our instagram to show you guys what one looks like if you have it. but yeah they are a pretty sweet bird i would have to say to say the least but yeah so um yeah there's five different turkey species if you want to get a turkey slam in arizona you get the eastern the Oceano. i'm never good at pronouncing that rio grande Miriam, and goulds which i mean the goulds are huge turkeys and you know, we just we just found out in in Pennsylvania, wildlife biologists recorded the oldest turkey, so probably the luckiest turkey out there. Um, they said it's a record-breaking turkey for the oldest turkey in state of history at twelve and a half years old. That's pretty cool. How do they determine how old it was? So, in March 2012, actually, they captured the turkey and uh tagged it so then after that once they saw the leg band they just recaptured it and saw the date on it um they they figured the average life expectancy for a turkey out of pennsylvania is one to three years so it's it's a she's 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 been around the block a few times i would have to say <laughs> on that. that's i mean that's pretty cool yeah um, I mean, she survived all the predators, the hunting, and everything to get to 12 and a half years. That's, that's pretty amazing. It is. Um, yeah, I mean, just talking about hunting um, and the conservation of turkey, then we'll start getting into a little bit more tips and tricks when it comes to turkey hunting. And how many turkeys do you think existed in the 1900s? In 1900? Like species wise, or like just turkeys in general, like turkeys all together. I have no idea. There was a hundred thousand turkeys remained then in 1900. How many turkeys do you think there are today? I'd say that number has risen. Yes, through the hunting and all the different how our tags go into conserving turkey land and helping repopulate, there's now over six million turkeys today in the united states that's pretty crazy and now if you're lucky enough to get one of those six million i mean i i like those odds <laughs> you know um but yeah well you know when it comes to when it comes to turkey hunting i actually just i went to a turkey seminar to learn some stuff which kind of gave me the idea for this episode actually after talking to some people that turkey hunt a lot you know i've learned i learned a lot just and uh later on in the show we're gonna have on our previous guest that you've heard before from southbound calls It'll be awesome he's gonna come on and he will be talking to us and i guess showing us also brian will be showing us calling techniques and to teach you how to call in so before we get to all that uh, we're going to get you all set up, tell you how you should set up for your hunt. Then you'll kind of beginning, start of the hunt, middle of the hunt, and end of the hunt, what you should do. Um, we'll be right back for that after a quick word from our great buddies over at Pro. Whether you're hunting, fishing, scouting, sitting down for long periods of times just really takes it out of you. Your back is sore, your body is sore. You're going to have to leave your tree stand or blind early just because 
you are not comfortable, well, let's change that with Pure Pro. Pure Pro is making an avid hunter, outdoor enthusiast, some most comfortable products out there in the market. You can be able to sit for long periods of times and not have a sore back or body. Made right here in the USA. Get your Pure Pro products today at www.purpro.com. That is www.pur-pro.com today. As we said, when you're out turkey hunting, there's nothing worse than having a sore back or body. At Pure Pro, that definitely will um, change that. I mean, it's as you said, it's like tur- it's like sitting on air, air pretty much. Oh man. Well, yeah. So when it comes, so let's get right into it. So when you want to start out turkey hunting, you know, it's always fun. I don't know why. Well, I remember my last turkey hunt I went on. As soon as we got out of the truck one morning, you just heard the gobbles thundering through the forest, and that that was pretty cool. But one thing I didn't know is, um, you know, when you hunt, you walk into your stand. You usually use light, right? Or is that light. just me? Yeah, it's hey, you never know. Some people might have night vision out there, might eat their carrots a little bit more. <laughs> but so, what I learned was, um, you know, you don't really want to use a light when turkey hunting because turkeys are gonna see that and they're going to not come to your area because they're, they're kind of like, I guess, they're pretty smart creatures in a way where they see the light and they'll know like that's off. So, when you come in at night, they say that you should come in and essentially, if you have to use a light, like use it very small, like cut your hand and just point it at the ground or use a red light. Um, and then, you know, get to where you want to set up that, you know, if once you get kind of set up, you want to keep, you know, essentially turkeys, they, they have really good eyesight, which may be why I'm not very good at hunting them because they like to move a lot, <laughs> you know, um, but when you're when you, if you're setting up your decoys, um, you know if you're only carrying one decoy, you definitely want to carry just a bring a Jake. But if you have a Jake and a not and a, and a hen turkey, geez, that just really spaced my brain there. I was about to say the girl turkey. Oh lord, it's almost the weekend, right? <laughs> yeah, almost. Oh, but yeah. If you have a Jake. If you just have a turkey decoy or can only afford one, get a Jake. But when you set it up, you want to have the Jake butt facing you and the head facing away from you because that big old Tom's going to come in and it's going to attack from the back. So you want it to attack from the back with its back facing you. That way it's not going to see you move when you pull that gun or move around, which I thought was really interesting. And if the turkeys, you know, they aren't coming in, they're probably going to be coming in every now and then. Um, you just might not think of that they're coming. They just kind of wander on over. Like, you know, just want to take the time. Um, coming to you, just kind of eat. I guess everybody likes to eat, eat essentially. <laughs> um, but, yeah, when then, so you just take your time. If you don't feel like they're coming, just wait it out. They'll They'll eventually get to you, especially, you know, if you're sitting up on water. They have to drink. And something I found which was really interesting when I was talking to an old hunter was turkeys pretty much follow the same circle every day. So if you could find some place along that where they're coming in, you sit there, even if it's not on water, it might just be a trail kind of like deer, but deer might not be there every day, but turkeys, they're going to be there. They follow the same pattern every day, pretty much like a book to read in a way, but he is just figuring out that pattern, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and then when the, the hens will slowly break off that pattern to build their nest, but still kind of work it over and over throughout, throughout breeding season. Um, and so when, you know, if you're just getting out to the blind or if you're not finding any turkeys, you know, do an owl hoot or crow call, they say, and you'll just hear the turkeys gobbling away. Do you do any of that? Uh, the locating things like an owl, yeah. Uh, I've heard stories of people slamming doors yeah. to get a goblin. Yeah, turkeys, I feel like, talk to everything. They aren't the quietest creatures in the world. <laughs> I, I I was under the impression it kind of pisses them off, and that's yeah. why they get a goblin. 
I think it just scares them in a way. <laughs> but I'm not I'm not too sure on that, to be honest. But yeah, I mean I, it works. I mean it's pretty cool the different calls you can do nowadays. Hopefully, you know, you can get creative with it. We, I've heard an owl call that sounded like an owl, and I was really confused because I knew it wasn't an owl in a way. Um, and so another, if you when so you find the turkey, say you find the turkey the night of flying up to its roost. The likelihood of a turkey when they leave their roost, they almost always leave on the east, which I thought was interesting. They like to be on the east side, and then they'll fly out and land. On, in an open area or an open road. So really driving down the road, don't be surprised if you see a turkey and a white turkey hunting. Um, they're pretty cool on that way. And they like to be like on a uh, point or an edge of a hill or cliff or mountain that way. They have a good vantage point, but also they aren't going to be attacked from all different directions. So it gives them a better um, sense of security, which that's pretty cool. I wish I knew that because... I would make life a lot easier, but thinking back to some of my turkey hunts, a lot of the turkeys were coming off the east and were they're roosting on the side of a hill, which I thought was really, really interesting. And they tend to use the same roosting tree over and over. I don't know about that now. Really? Yeah. I don't about the roosting tree? Yeah, I'm not sure about that roosting tree. I, I don't think they use the same one over and over here. If, if they aren't being disturbed, I don't know. because they, But they're, that roosting tree is going to be somewhere in their circle pattern. I guess might be a better way to put it. Okay. Do, you, do turkeys, I mean turkeys, I guess, where you live, probably, they might probably a little different than out west, though. Yeah. I guess. Matter of fact, uh, my sister and I were walking the neighborhood tonight, and there was a hen flew up in one of the trees in the neighbor's backyard, getting ready to roost for the night. So, really? And that's, that's the first awesome. turkey I've seen here. Yeah, forever. I, that's the first turkey I've seen in the area. Really? That's yeah. awesome. They're slowly working their way. Part of that six million's coming your way now. <laughs> now you're gonna walk past that tree at night and say, "Is there a turkey up there?" I, I'm pretty sure around in this area they they might hit it, you know, more than once. But it's not like a routine tree. They're always coming back to that every night. I don't I don't believe so. Yeah, it might be within their little circle that they follow. Maybe I'm not too sure on that. But then again, how many trees do y'all have out there? I mean, the forest we have a lot. But not down here. We don't. I mean, none. But there's not too many turkeys in the desert. They're all pretty much in forest land. But I think I think they tend to like go to the same. Like I know I was. They were telling a story how um, I think they go to the same trees if they're in an they're if they're in an area that's not disturbed. Because they were telling a story about how. They found a roost tree and it just had mounds of turkey poop on it, and they were just roosted every night. But it was an area that's never disturbed. So I, it will, I guess I should say, it depends on the area, and if there's people there or not that would mess with the turkeys. I, I can see that. And yeah. I can see if it's if they're doing their circle thing and it gets to be a certain time where they need to hit a roost, so they're not gonna rush back to that one tree they're just gonna find one close by that they can get in yeah on their circle but i get from, from talking to the the people that uh, the guy that talked to me about the circle they try to they try to hit it at the same time so yeah but i guess somewhere along that circle will be the tree because they like to get up there right before sundown and leave right before sun up so they don't get eaten <laughs> and you might ought to mention that you should check your state laws because I do believe it is some of them that it's against the law to go out and try to find where they are roosted at the night before you go hunt. Really? I think I've heard that in some 
some states in between you and I. That's interesting. Yeah, definitely check your state laws on that. I know, I know in Arizona it's legal to find the roots. I've heard of people sleeping right next to the roots tree, so they have to come in. But yeah, definitely check your state laws. Check your state laws on everything we're gonna say through this because you know laws change state to state. On this, they might not let you use a locator call or a certain type of calls in one state. If you're gonna use a locator call. Or turkey call might not be able to be electronic, where in some states it, you could use an electronic call, essentially. It's against the law to use an electronic caller here. Very prime example. See, here in Arizona, for turkey, you can use an electronic caller. So, right, there's a great example on that. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely be sure to always check your game laws, because as much as we love you guys, we aren't, we aren't paying your fine for no. you guys. If you so, viewer discretion advised. Don't listen to us. <laughs> there you go. That's our legal way, right? Uh, if you're coming to us for your legal advice, you're in big trouble. Yeah, you're in a lot of trouble. I mean, I've watched, I've watched some, uh, what's it called, suits, but, you know, I, I don't think, I don't, I th- I'll just tell you to run or just say you're, you're, you're straight out of luck, buddy. <laughs> if you're with me, I'm going to trip you and I'm going to run you. <laughs> yeah. So. It's kind of like when you're getting chased by a bear and trip your buddy, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, and then, so when you're shooting a turkey, where do you want to aim for? Depends on what you're shooting with. Oh, love that. So if you're shooting with a bow, where do you think you aim? Basically. No Googling now base of the neck so that's what i thought but so the upper one third of a turkey is where the vitals are so you want to aim for that upper one third we'll have a vital chart um we'll put up on our instagram so you can see the vital chart on our facebook but yeah so if you're shooting going with a bow you want to kind of hit that upper one third of the turkey because that's where most of the vitals are it's not going to be aiming right in the middle because yeah that's so you, it's more like right where the neck comes down and it kind of does that l shape towards the back right in that area will be the perfect spot to shoot a turkey um that's where the vitals are and you know turkey bones they aren't they aren't too too um what's the best way to put it not too dense, dense so you'll be able to get right through the turkey as well and not have to worry about it. Um, they do come out with some great turkey arrows. You know, I definitely recommend looking at range broadheads if you are trying to find, um, if you're trying to find a perfect broadhead for hunting your turkey, they have some great turkey um, broadheads and arrows. So, yeah, look at them. If you are using a shotgun, though, blast the damn head off. But... Be sure um, to pattern your shotgun. I think that's one of the biggest challenges is patterning patterning a shotgun. Um, you just want to be comfortable, just like anything that you're going to use. Um, be sure. Make sure you have the right choke in, too. Yeah, turkey chokes are key. I always forget about the turkey choke. But, yeah, have your turkey choke in, but you just want to be... They sell nowadays, which is pretty cool. They sell the actual targets that look like a turkey, so you can pattern it pretty easy and be sure that you are getting it correct, pattern on its head. Um, I think, you know, those are, I believe those are the only ways you can hunt turkeys that I'm aware of with bow and shotgun. I don't think you can use a twenty-two. Maybe you can. Uh, here oh. you use bow and arrow which is you know vertical or horizontal crossbow regular bow whatever you want to call it yeah gun muzzle loader if you're that good and you can use a rifle really they only allow you to use a rifle the day of thanksgiving okay that makes sense that's pretty cool though that's really cool And, yeah, I mean, 
I think those are some good tips, you know, when it comes to turkey hunting, you know, some tactics. You definitely, I mean, just get out in the woods is the best way to do it. Simplest way to find a turkey is when you get out in the woods, put the work in, and, you know, you should be able to find it. You know, with putting some of these tactics into your prep um, and the day before or during your turkey hunt, you'll be in good shape. You know, I think the biggest thing is just staying concealed and not ever really giving up. Turkeys come all throughout the day. They aren't like deer or elk that bed down during the day. During the day, they're pretty active. They're moving around, going to their watering and feeding. So if you can find a good water hole or feed area where they'll be at, just set up a blind and you'll be good to um, go. And hopefully that turkey will come by. When we come back, we will be having Brian on from southbound outdoors to talk about turkey calling and we'll be right back <laughs> we would like to welcome brian back on from southbound outdoors we had him on well, about two three months ago i know you were or were one of our very first guests on the show and you know we're really excited to have you back on how have you been yeah been been well i appreciate it glad to be talking to y'all again and um Glad to be right at the beginning of turkey season. Yeah, see, so ready to get out and get after some gobblers. When does um, when does turkey season start for you guys out there? Youth season was last weekend, and then the regular season kicks off this Saturday. So we're right yep. on the right on the edge of it. Right on the right at the beginning of the fun. You got you got a big tom in your sights. You want? Yeah, we we went out Saturday morning. Took my kids, and uh, we heard like three different gobblers, but they weren't super active yet. Um, and they were on the neighboring farm. They didn't make it over onto the one we had permission to hunt last weekend, but we usually kill two or three off of that one farm every year that have been pretty good size. Last year, my, my six-year-old, I got him on his first bird, ended up being a 10-inch beard. Uh, oh, wow. That's so he was a, it was a, it was a good bird for, especially for his first one. I was like, man, he's really Yeah, old. I bet. Starting him off with very high expectations. Yeah. Yep. How that? I know, I know. I've got a problem. Yeah, no pressure, right? That's right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, well, yeah. Thank you for coming on. You know, we figured, why not have uh, someone like yourself show us how to do some turkey calls and kind of tell us about them and when you should do them? Because I don't know about Dustin, but myself, I'm I'm not the best caller in the world. I probably sound like a dying elephant. I used to suck at calling until I got one of these southbound outdoor calls. Now I actually can uh, call them in in the grocery store. Yeah. Uh, once I get my next turkey tag, I, I'm going to definitely have to get my southbound calls so I can call something in this year and I, or whenever I get drawn. Because Arizona takes forever to get drawn for turkey. Yeah, I was looking to ask. So you got a, you got a tag system out there you got to draw? Yeah, you have the tag system for turkey. There are some over-the-counter units, but those are mainly archery or in really, really bad area. Like, not, like, bad, but, like, not high turkey density areas. So, yeah, you pretty much have to draw if you want to go turkey hunting. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah, we've got, like, this year, a couple of years ago, we were up where we could kill four gobblers in a spring here in Tennessee, and then last year they cut us back to three and we're at three again this year so i'm jealous pretty good uh pretty good turkey densities <laughs> yeah no i'm real the turkeys are coming back a lot here now you know there's a lot of work uh through our game and fish department and uh national wild turkey foundation to really fill back the turkeys so we're slowly starting to see an increase in them which is that's nice but it is good yeah, so we were talking about, you know, at least out here, I don't know if you guys do in the East, we kind of like start off our turkey hunting if we aren't really know where the turkeys are at or have an idea with like a locator call. Do you guys do that out in the, in the East? We do it some. That just people have different theories and ideas. Um, I've used locator calls, mainly either an, an owl call or a crow call. I also have a peacock call that'll work around here. There's enough people uh, around where I live that have exotic birds, and, and there's a few peacocks around, and they're extremely loud birds. That's so that's can, really that's really funny because I was at yeah. a turkey seminar and they whipped out a peacock call, so that's the most effective locator call. It's an extremely annoying call. 
to try to practice one of those in the house, you get in trouble awful fast. But it's uh, it, first it, I it heard of a call. We'll send one to for, we'll send one uh, to Adam for you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and I haven't had a ton of luck the past few years. I haven't had a ton of luck with locator calls. The birds I'm hunting, there's a lot of there's a whole lot of crows right now, and um, we try to put a little bit of focus on shooting a few of them to get them out of here. But we got a ton of crows that are always flying around making a ton of racket. And then the farm that we hunt turkeys on a lot has some uh, people around us. Like I said, they have some exotic birds. So there's peacocks and there's different types of geese and stuff that are kind of always making noise. And so okay. I didn't have a lot of luck using those on that particular farm. And so I went to just using uh, either just waiting for them to, to gobble naturally because some other crazy critter made a noise or, yeah. uh, or getting them to respond to uh, I started using a tube call, which is a form of a turkey call. I was never able to use one of those diaphragm mouth calls like you put inside your mouth. Um, okay. I've always yeah, struggled with I saw, to I saw that get on your website right. now. You guys are selling tube calls. How does that work? Yeah, the tube calls are cool. Uh, they they work off the same principle as the mouth call. It's a piece of latex that's stretched over a, um, you know, just a, a gap, basically. And people have been making these for, for a whole bunch of years. They've had a bunch of different names. Some, some people call them snuff can calls. Some call them pill bottle calls. Because you could take a you know, a bottle from the pharmacy that you got pills in and take the top off of it, cut a little slit or a half circle out of the, the bottom of the pill bottle, stretch latex over it and, and kind of accomplish the same thing. But there's a, the tube call. If you look at the end of it where you're going to put your mouth, like I said, there's a half circle cut out. We'll stretch latex over that and then hold that latex in place either with an O-ring or with a rubber band or something. And the latex is not stretched very tight. It's still on there fairly loose and you take you use your bottom lip and cover the little bit of gap that's left between the latex and the the half circle okay and then push air across it and then you use your bottom lip to decide how much pressure how much tension you're going to put on that piece of latex to make the sound and that way you can you can control the the tone and how high pitched it is and do different things but I've had luck with it with a tube call. I can do a gobble, and especially like a Jake gobble, which I found to be a pretty good locator call and a good challenge call to, to gobblers when they, sometimes they don't want to respond to hen calls. You know, they just want to stay in their strut zone. But if I make a hen call and then do a Jake gobble on the back of it, they uh, they get pretty angry. That 10-inch, uh, my six-year-old son last year, I took him and he killed a 10-inch beard bird one day. And we could see him strutting on the next farm over and he would he gobbled one time at my hen calls and but he would just keep strutting back and forth in the same position and finally i did where i did a hen yelp and then followed it up with a jake gobble on my tube call and he broke out of strut and his head turned white he got mad he came <laughs> down the hill across the fence across the creek up a hill and my son shot him that's um, awesome so he finally got mad enough to come on across when i did the jake gobble at him finally annoyed him enough out there that's right see the two calls i found easier for myself to learn how to use now they're not as dynamic as a mouth call i know guys that can take a mouth call and sound like a whole flock of turkeys all at once um i'm not gonna be able to do that but you know with a basic tube call i'll try to do one on here i'm not sure how well it'll come through on the the microphone here but you know with the tube call you can do a basic like hen cluck Or even a yelp. Like I said, I use them mainly to do a gobble if I want to, if I want to locate birds, or if I want to challenge a bird that's strutting. I can do a gobble by it's the same principle. If anybody that duck hunts and uses a duck call, if they're going to do a feed chatter or feed chuckle, they do that ticka 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 sound with their tongue really fast. Yeah. Same exact principle. I get the right level of tension on that reed and do ticka ticka really fast and I get a gobble. Okay, so. Whoa. Can you do that? Sorry, I talked for in the middle of that. Can you do that again? Okay. 
Well, that's awesome. So what? So for to do like a hen yelp, what? What? How do you make that noise with like out of your mouth? What do you use for that? Like I said, I put a little bit of tension with my bottom lip on the latex. Okay, so just a little bit of tension. And then I kind of drop my, as I'm pushing air across it, making each note, I'm dropping my jaw down just a little bit to get it to do that roll off. The hen goes yop, yop, yop type of roll off sound that you get on it. So every time I drop my jaw down is when I get that that roll off sound on the, the yelp. sound like a turkey right there that's really good that's awesome something as simple as a tube call and even my kids uh can my 13 year old can gobble on one he started trying to do that in the off season and he hung out with us at the shows we went to this year and spent some time in the booth playing with it so he got to where he can gobble on one so they're pretty easy to use easy to learn and um easy to even make on your own if you want one we sell them through the website we we actually use a 3d printer and print them to where they've got a holder that keeps the o-ring or rubber band in the same place so that it's not slipping and sliding or rolling up on you on, on a, a pill bottle and then it's got a little bit of a contoured design almost like a trumpet you know flare at the bottom of it to amplify the sound and give you a, a place to hold more firmly with with your hands than you know the homemade version of it so but it's just a cool like i said easy to learn call that that you can use and give you something different when you want to be able to gobble at a bird and give them a different type of challenge. I like it a lot. So what? So what depends, I guess, um, on your decision on how you're, what you're going to start calling. Do you always start with the same like type of call, or I guess same type of noise or sound a call, or do you kind of switch up depending on weather or how? What makes that determination for you? So I carry the main calls that I use most of the time are, are pot calls. Some people call them slate calls. Or they, have, they have different names there too. And we make a, a variety of those with different surfaces. And so that you take a, a what's called a striker, a big wooden peg shaped kind of like a pencil. And then this round pot call that'll have a surface on it made out of glass or slate or aluminum or ceramic. There's a variety of materials that we use and if I'm going to start a calling sequence, it sort of depends on if I've heard a bird or not, right? If okay. I can hear, if I can hear one, say it's early in the morning and we walk in somewhere and I hear him gobbling, I can tell where he's at, how far away he is. Then I can decide if I want to be louder or softer or more aggressive or whatever. If I haven't heard a bird in a little while or if I'm walking out mid-morning and going to sit down somewhere and, and try to figure things out, yeah, I'll start out with more of a soft calling sequence. Okay. So I might start out just with a little purr and cluck, especially if I'm in the woods where I can't see very far. Just in case there's a bird nearby, I don't want to scare him with a super loud sound right off the bat. So I would do just a simple purr. Let's see if this comes through on the microphone because it's kind of quiet. So that's that's super quiet. It carries really well out in the woods. And if there's one that's nearby that I didn't know about, he'll hopefully respond to that and I can hear him. And then I'll give that a minute or two. If I don't get a response, then I'll go to doing more of a series of clucks and yelps that are a little bit louder, a little bit more aggressive. Pot calls that we make have two sides, so you got a top side and a bottom side that'll make different sounds. So, like the one I've got here, I've got one with an aluminum top and a slate bottom, and so I can flip back and forth. The aluminum side is going to give me a bit of a higher pitch, and I can get a little bit louder on it. So, if it's a little windy, or if I'm trying to reach out even further, I can swap over to the aluminum side, and you'll get it's that different sound. So I, I kind of start out, like I said, if I don't know where one is, I'll start out quiet and do purrs and clucks. 
and then I'll steadily get a little bit louder, a little bit more aggressive to try to get one to respond. And then if he responds to something, I'll do that a couple of times and then, uh, and then kind of read the bird and, and go from there. Okay. And so is there, is there, when you're calling, I guess this might be a call or a question that at least I have, and I'm sure a lot of other people, is it, is it true that you can over call when you're calling a turkey? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. They, um, the, the problem, the way that we hunt turkeys is somewhat unnatural in that in the, the turkey world, the gobbler typically gobbles and then the hens come to where he's gobbling at. Whereas we're trying to make sounds and get the gobbler to come to us. And so we're, we're sort of doing things backwards from a natural point of view. So typically with, with calling, we're trying to convince him to come our way. So we're hoping that he, he's not already set up in a strut zone or he doesn't have hens with him, things like that. And so the overcalling is usually that he thinks the hen's coming to him, so he's not going to move. You know, if, she's, if she keeps responding to him, then why would he go anywhere? He thinks she's coming to him. So oftentimes if I get a bird to gobble back at my calls a couple of times, I'll shut up. And then make him curious and make him wonder, hey, what happened? Where'd she go? And uh, and then get him to come. Or that might be when I break out and try to, to do a Jake gobble or something and see if he'll break away and come out for a fight instead of uh, instead of chasing him. Okay. Uh, what what's the I guess the difference between a a Tom gobbler or a Jake gobble? Is it just more aggressive, more kind of raspy a Tom compared to a Jake or? Good question. The the Jake gobble, Jake's a, a, a true long beard gobbler. So a three year old bird, four year old bird, you know, they, they have what we think of as a, a full on turkey gobble. So if I was going to do one of those, that comes across as that. You know, it's got a little bit depth to it. I need to loosen up the reed on this call a little bit. It's almost too high pitched for the true gobbler. It's, it's a little bit longer and how long the gobble lasts, and it's usually a little bit deeper in sound. Whereas Jake's, they almost do like a stunted gobble, so they don't even do a full gobble. So now Joe's get something like that out of a Jake because he hasn't developed all the way into that full-on gobbler yet. Okay, so it's kind of just, it's a lesser length of a call, percent. Typically lesser of a length, and I'll put a little more pressure on the the latex on my bottom lip to get a slightly higher pitch for the Jake call. Okay, that's awesome. When um when so you find if uh so if they're kind of hung up, then not really coming in, then you're gonna hit that Jake gobbler, and then if they start responding again, will you continue on with that Jake gobbler, or then are you gonna switch back to that hen yell? The way I've had it work best is I would, I did one or two Jake gobbles, and then I just completely shut down the call. Oh. Because at that point, when I'm trying to mimic, is that all of a sudden a Jake has now hooked up with that hen, and he's okay. with her. So now they don't need to talk anymore. And now the gobbler's going to get super mad about it because he thinks that some you know, young whippersnappers moved in on his lady. Yeah, okay. So now he's going to come on across and, and, and try to challenge him. So when you're doing this, do you have decoys out, or could you do this without a decoy set? You could do it without, especially if you're you're in the woods, in the trees, or in a swamp, or something like that where there's a bunch of cover. You can make them pretty curious where they'll, they'll come on through there. I hunt just where I live in, in middle Tennessee. What I'm hunting is a lot of open fields, cow pastures, and things like that. So I typically use decoys. Um, plus, I'm hunting with my kids mostly over the past few years. And so I need, I use decoys so that I know where I'm going to attract the birds to. And I can give my kids, have them set up correctly and have the gun safe and mounted on a bipod and, and all this type of stuff so that they're, they're ready to go. And they know kind of their range. You know, I'll put uh, a decoy at 20 yards and, and say, okay, we need the bird to be at this distance before you shoot him. So that it, it, it takes variables out of the equation for the kids by using decoys. Okay. But I do like it because I, I can know I can use that to position the bird in a certain location for them to shoot him. 
Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. That's awesome. Yeah, I was wondering kind of the decoys. I know some people like them. Some people are like hit or miss, and some people say decoys are a waste of your money. <laughs> when, yep. it, when it comes to like choosing a decoy, um, how do you choose when you feel – I mean, obviously, you can buy – a decoy for five bucks, or you go buy one for like, feel like two hundred bucks. Does, the, does yep. the price really, really matter on a decoy when it comes to it? Would you say there's some there's some really nice decoys that that look fantastic, and so I I try to go. I'm only going to carry two or three anyway, and so paying a little bit more money for you know a nice looking decoy that's going to hold up and, and things like that hasn't hasn't stopped me. The cheap foam ones that fold up, they're nice because you can fold them flat and stick them in your pocket. But then when you try to puff them back out, they, they just don't look very realistic to me. And if you get any level of wind blowing at all, it'll blow them right off the stake. Oh, really? And you have trouble. So I like a decoy that's a little bit more of a hard body. It's got a stake that's easy to drive in the ground, and it's gonna it'll rotate around some in the wind and, and have a little bit of motion to it. But it's not going to blow off the stake or, or blow over. So... That's been my, my preference. And okay. people look a lot for the shine on decoys. You know, turkey feathers have a certain sheen to them if you're in, in bright sunshine. Again, I'm hunting open fields and cow pastures most of the time. So my decoys are going to be sitting in the middle of the sun. You know, I don't want a fake foamy looking shine. and I don't want a super, super glossy shine either. I need something that's uh, going to be muted but not completely flat. Okay. And do you, what do you, for your decoy setups, how, what do you use? Do you use like Jake's Tom's hens, a little bit of both? The best luck I've had is I'll put out two hens and a Jake. Okay. And I do a half, a half strut Jake in particular, because then, um, that's helped me in that pretty much every bird that my kids have shot have been with that setup where I have two hens and a Jake or half strut Jake. And I know I'm going to put that half strut Jake at 20 yards and I'm going to have him facing towards my kids. And the Tom, when he comes up, he's going to go in the strut and he's going to come up beside the half strut Jake to challenge him. And so I know my kid's going to get a shot at a Tom. The Tom's going to be in strut. So my kid's got time to kind of get on him and get settled, watch him strut for a second. And then as soon as he pops out of strut, he's going to be at 20 yards. So I know where he's going to be standing. They can just blast him in the head and, we haven't had to chase any any turkeys, so it's worked out pretty well. <laughs> haven't had to get your track shoes on yet? Not yet. Not yet. Oh, man. So, yeah, right before you came on, we were talking about, um, obviously, shot placement of a turkey. We went through, like, bows and shotguns. When it comes to patterning your gun, what's, like, a, obviously, you want to have tighter patterns, but what's a successful way to pattern it, as well as, do you find, like, Regular shot as good as tungsten steel because I know tungsten steel is becoming to be a more popular one. Or what? What's your What's your opinion on patterning? And to be we've successful tried, at it, we've tried a couple of different things. So um, here lately, it's been hard enough to find ammo. Uh, I'm glad we had already done patterning before, and I had something to stick with this year because I didn't want to have to burn through too much to to get to it. But um, you know my. Again, when I was taking my kids, I've been using a youth model 20 gauge. And with that one, I found what worked the best was I got, uh, it wasn't tungsten steel. It was an ITX blend from Backridge Ammo. It's made for turkey hunting. Shoot it out of a 20 gauge. But you just use a modified choke. I don't even use a full choke in the 20 gauge. That way I, and, but I'm also restricting my kids to only, like I said, you know, a 20 yard shot is is about as far as i want them shooting a bird just for their own experience and so i've got a dense enough pattern at that distance and i've got enough shot within there that using uh, i think it was number six size itx loads out of a 20 gauge with a modified choke uh, it, it gave me a very nice pattern at, at that distance that allowed a little bit of room for error for them and it, it's killed birds extremely effectively uh, when I go to my 12 gauge where I'm going to shoot, and now this year my my oldest son just turned 13, and he's got a 12 gauge he's using this year. Those I went through and I've patterned different size shots. Uh, I've done mostly lead is what I still shoot on on turkeys. 
Um, I've tried a couple of the hybrid ones, but what I've liked best, there's a certain load from Federal that I'm still shooting that I've got just the factory full choke shooting number six lead shot. And then I back it up. My second shot is a number four. Okay. Because I think the same, I use the same theory when I'm duck hunting that my, if I'm having to go to my second shot, then that means the first one didn't hit home and it's yeah. probably at a slightly longer distance. So I want something okay. with a little more, little more weight to carry farther. So million dollar question, 12 gauge or 20 gauge? I'm 12 all the time. Um, for my kids, 20 gauge up until they, they hit a certain point and then they're moving up to 12. A lot of people okay. don't like the kick of a 12 gauge. Man, I'm only shooting one time at a turkey. I don't care if it kicks me a little bit. I'm okay. Yeah, that's very true. But I also still shoot. I mean, when I was when I was 13, my, my parents gave me a Remington 870 12 gauge. And that's still the 12 gauge I use to this day, that exact same gun. And so I just know that gun inside and out. I can break it down in the field if something got down inside of it. You know, nothing has ever messed up on it. It shoots every time I pull the trigger. It cycles a shell every time I pull back on it. It just, it, it's it's such been such a good, reliable gun. I've gotten so used to handling that one gun that for me to go away from it to anything else is, it, it just is not going to happen right now. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, that's the per- that's the perfect type of gun, though. Is the one that you're comfortable with and the one that you can always rock and roll with at any time. Yep. And the good old, the newer 870s don't seem to be built quite the same as, as the older ones, but that old 870, is, it's the best shotgun slash boat paddle slash hammer slash <laughs> walking stick slash whatever else you need it to be. And it is still, you know, a, a gun's been around a, more than two decades, two and a half decades. And um, it still looks great, shoots great, and I, I kill everything other than deer with it at this point. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Multi, it's like a multi-tool, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, Dustin, do you have any questions for Brian? He was kind of. I was sitting here jotting down my notes and all, and he was kind of hitting. When I come up with a question, he was hitting the answer right there on me. So, I was, all right. Yeah, that's pretty much the exact same same thing that was going on with me. He was like the uh, dictionary or encyclopedia. He was reading our minds there. Now, if he could take some pictures of how he sets his decoys out and send them to me, that'd be better. <laughs> we could. I, I posted a couple of videos of hunts. Well, I guess it's not really a video of a hunt. We did an ad that we ran last year on, on Facebook and Instagram. That was some video from my, my older son, one of the turkeys that he killed. Um, I got that one on video with my cell phone and was able to capture. We actually, we've had a lot of luck. Um, we talked about calling strategies earlier. We've killed a couple of times by calling in the hen first. And so there would be a hen that was making a lot of racket and I would get her angry and I would just mock her. So I would do exactly what she did. And oh, she, really? If, if I would hear a hen yelp, I would count the number of yelps she did, and I would do the exact number back to it. If she was clucking at me, I would count the clucks and see how loud and aggressive, and I would do exactly that back at her, just like a mirror image of her calling right back at her. And two, two different times I've had it where they got angry enough that the hen came over and was in the middle of our decoys, and the Tom came in with her, and then once the Tom saw my half-strut Jake, he went into his own strut, his head changed color, and he goes up and starts challenging the Jake, and we're able to shoot him. That's uh, awesome. And so that's worked out a lot. I like calling, I like talking back to hens, because they get really angry, and it's hilarious. <laughs> get a little possessive. They do, man. They had I had one, and I wasn't able to get her on on video until she was already kind of out there with us. But she was, we were sitting next to a, a fence in between two cattle farms and she started clucking. And I, like I said, whatever she did, I did right back at her. She got mad enough. She came up behind us and she flat foot jumped over a three, a three wire barbed wire fence right behind me and almost walked between myself and my son to go out to those decoys. 
<laughs> that's awesome. She was extremely angry. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh man. Turkey hunting's exciting, man. There's there's something about that. I mean, you get out there and you hear a bird gobble. Hairs on your arm stand up. And that's get chill bumps. And, uh, it's great. That's what I was saying to Dustin at the beginning of this before he came on. Was I remember um, my last turkey hunt I was on? We just got out of the truck in the morning, getting ready to walk down to the spot we were going to sit at. And all of a sudden, just a gobble just ripped through the forest, just echoing. It was the coolest thing mm-hmm. I've ever heard. Same thing. It made my hair on my arm stand. I'm like, these turkeys sound pretty dang. If you didn't know it was a turkey sound, you mean kind of scared. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I was running camera for Jason a year or two ago. And a hen come in, and it's she's doing her thing, and it your blood gets to pumping in, and you're shaking and all, just like you're getting ready to shoot it with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's exciting stuff, and I like it. You know, we go out first thing in the morning, hear them gobbling on roost, and then after fly down, if you don't get one to work in, we usually just hang out for a little while, and about. 8.30, 8.45, they start to break up, they get lonely, they start gobbling again, and then we go back to work. So, it's, so uh, it's a lot of that's fun. actually a good question I had. So do you stay out all day when it comes to turkey hunting? Because I know they're active I'm, all day. They are. I mean, they, yeah, they're out walking around somewhere all day. Um, we've done all day hunts. Saturday, we, we split it up. We did a morning hunt, and then, um, but we... Went out in the morning, had three birds gobbling on roost, but then the, the farmer on the next cattle farm over was out working cows and riding a four-wheeler and got between us and the birds, and so that that kind of messed that up. So we came home and did stuff around the house for a while and then went back out in the afternoon and didn't, didn't hear anything. I haven't had much luck in the afternoon myself. I know some people do, uh, but I haven't had a lot of luck in the afternoons. Most of mine, most of mine kills have been mid-morning, not even off the roost. So oh. that, that 8.45, 9 o'clock in the 9.15 time frame is, is most of the birds that we've killed is right around that time. So you hunt from about sun sun up to about 10 o'clock in the morning and then come back right about a few, three hours before sundown? Or? We do. Yeah, we'll hunt till about 10 o'clock or so. And then even at that time, we'll, we'll sort of get up and start walking around slow and, and glassing. Uh, we're hunting cattle pasture, so it's pretty open. So I can walk up to some fence rows and glass in the fields and see if I can pick out, you know, birds that are on the neighboring farm and what they're doing, and uh, and be able to scout a little bit that way. Okay. Perfect. And sometimes cool. we'll come back in the afternoon. And the, the afternoon, I haven't had much luck killing birds in the afternoon, but figuring out where they're going to go to bed is sometimes more useful anyway. Kind of uses like a scouting day. mission in a way as well too. Awesome. Do you have anything else, Dustin? Oh. No, not really. Now or never, forever hold your peace. <laughs> oh, I'll so see that- later when I uh, figure out a good question, but no, nah, not right now. Well, uh, yeah, perfect. Well, I guess if you think one, we just have another excuse to have Ryan back on again. Yeah, happy to talk to y'all anytime. Yeah, well, thank, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great to be able to talk to hunting to people, especially and nowadays. It's hard to find people that hunt on a regular basis, it seems like. But we think, thank you very much for coming on and all your helpful um, insight um, to this and these calling techniques. And, you know, we look forward to having you on again. And we'll definitely, as always, have your... Whether you're packing out an elk late at night or trying to sneak into your deer stand early in the morning in the darkness, definitely want a top-of-the-line headlamp. Well, head on over to Cabbage and get your headlamp today. With 300 lumens and 220 degrees of LED light, the K110 headlamp is the best for you. Head on over to Cabbage and get your headlamp today. That is at www.kawachusa.com. As always, it's great having Brian on and, you know, southbound outdoors um, on. 
No, if you're in the game for calls, definitely, definitely go ahead and check them out. Um, so you shot your turkey, called them in. Now what are you going to do? Well, once you shoot your turkey, you know, after talking to a lot of taxidermists here, it's best to just simply um, put a, you know, plastic bag, a shopping bag over their head so the blood can't get into the feathers. This is if you're planning to get taxidermied, I, I might say. Um, so put the, put, you know, put a bag over its head so the blood can't get in it. And you're going to want to wrap the body as well in like a trash bag. You don't want the feathers to get wet. The feathers, whew, that's just going to make a mess. Uh, the feathers make it really hard for the taxidermists to do their work. We, after that, you know, you just take the turkey to taxidermists. You know, most taxidermists are able to, if it is a local one, will be able to breast out the turkey and get you the turkey meat and still be able to make you a great mount. That's if you're doing a full body mount. You know, if you just want to do a regular fan mount or a beard mount, then you don't have to really follow any of those steps. But if you want to get a full body turkey mount, that, that's the best way. You know, turkey hunting is a challenge. It's, it's really cool. Definitely unique opportunities. And we know we really hope that this episode really helped you guys learn to turkey hunt, hone in your craft, learn a thing or two. And, you know, I'm not a very good caller. So listening to Brian with Southbound Outdoors talk and call and use his calls live on air has really made it a lot easier for me to understand how the calling went. I want to thank you guys all for listening to D&D Outdoors. Be sure to like um, like us on Facebook, Instagram at D&D Outdoors. Also, if you're listening to this we're on your podcast, please please go ahead on your podcast. Like like and, like and subscribe to this. Um, you know, the more followers we get, the better. Um, you know, check out our merchandise um, that's tagged below. You can get stickers, decals, pretty cool stuff. And, you know, I hope you all have a great rest of your day. And if you're heading home, it will be over soon.